Welcome to the Two Stewards Show. The manuscript we are about to talk about has been credited by many real estate investors as the number one book ever written. Okay, maybe I kind of made that up, but at least Mark and I find it interesting. Uh, the book we are about to talk about is Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And jokes aside, this book was actually a turning point for both of us and how we think about finances. It certainly changed my mindset. So the traditional advice says, uh, go to school, get good grades, get a secure job with a pension. Uh, in the book, Robert presents some of the flaws with that advice and he presents alternatives that I think we can all benefit from. So while we don't necessarily agree with everything Robert has to say, his perspective on financial literacy forms a great foundation to build off of. So if you're wondering how you can abandon the so-called poor dad philosophy and embrace Robert's rich dad mindset, then tune in. And books like this uh, and others will help you educate yourself, build financial literacy so that you can be prepared for investing opportunities and, of course, act with confidence when the time comes. Uh, you can get in contact with Mark over at Joy Hill Property Management at joyhill.ca. He is busy helping folks to set up and manage short and midterm rental properties. Myself, Brent, I'm over at Good Stewards, Inc., goodstewards.ca. Uh, our services help you source the right rental property, develop quality rental units, and secure amazing tenants. And finally, we would love to hear from all of our wonderful listeners. You can send your feedback to hello at twostewards.ca. And now, on to the show. Savers are losers. Do you agree? <laughs> <laughs> That's a controversial way to start a podcast, yeah. Brent. Are you a loser? I mean, a saver. <laughs> we want to talk a little bit about the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, this is a book by Robert Kiyosaki, written in uh, 1997 originally. So it has impacted many people over the years. And uh, why do we want to talk about this book? Well, um, I think this book has been quoted or cited by a lot of real estate investors. Mm-hmm. Um as being very pivotal you know they're going about their everyday life they pick up this book and they read it and they change directions um so it's a it's a bit of a paradigm shift i like that word apparently i think i say paradigm (laughs) you have one paradigm one frame of mind and then you read a book and it completely changes everything and i think that was for a lot of people this book and it's worth 20 cents is it well if you have one dime and you get another one that's a pair of dimes, right? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I couldn't let that go by. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's it's a my mindset shift. <laughs> yeah, totally mindset shift. Um, so we want to talk a little bit about, we've kind of broken this book down into three sections. Um, not three sections, but some of the concepts into three sections. So mm-hmm. we can kind of do this in bite-sized chunks without elaborating too much and see where Mark goes with this and how long <laughs> he talks about it. But, um, the idea is that, um, we want to understand, uh, a few things about financial education, um, investing, real estate, this book, it changes your perspective because, um, it, it's kind of so it's written in a bit of a story form, mm-hmm. um, but it also has like very specific lessons 
and it's written for, I want to say the average American, but, um, <laughs> it's written to the average American who goes through the system, right? Yeah. So Robert kind of, um, highlights that, you know, we have a system, um, yeah. which means like an education system. You have, uh, societal forces around you that basically say like, you know, your husband and wife, you have a kid, you do this, you go to school, then you, you know, uh, after school, you go to post-secondary school, you get a job. Um, and then your life should be this, right? There's expectations in that system, right? Yeah. You're going to work every day, nine to five for this many days of the week. And then, um, and then the result is you're going to have this dream life, right? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. But that's kind of the system and the mindset that he's writing this book to, right? Yeah. He's writing this book to these people. And it was controversial, right? Uh, when, when it, it came, came out. out. Yeah. People See, I wasn't like, alive. Is... Oh, I was alive, but I wasn't able to read <laughs> when it came out. See? So you are able to, read I'm at now, a disadvantage. Right? Yeah. Okay. I'm slowly learning to okay, read, good. but <laughs> in 97, I was six. Yeah. Wow. So I, I was just, maybe I could say dad. You know, <laughs> poor dad, poor dad. <laughs> Stop saying that, Brent. Yeah, <laughs> this is my poor dad. Yeah, so um, it, but yeah. yeah, to your point, right? It it kind of bucked the bucked the trend, spoke out against the sort of system that that we had in place, and yeah. um, a lot of people didn't like that. Like, this is bad financial advice. It's going to lead people to ruin. Yeah, et cetera, et cetera. And now, but in fact, it's changed a lot of people's lives. Yeah, like if you listen to any real estate podcast that yeah. has uh, you know successful folks on it. Like, not like ours, but yeah, <laughs> other <yeah>. ones. <laughs> um, and they'll be like, you know, sometimes they'll have questions, right? What book most influenced you? Yeah, like, you yeah. hear Rich Dad, Poor Dad all the time. Yeah. And, you know, not just older folks, but younger folks, too. Yeah. And um, I never read the book, actually, <laughs> until recently. Yeah. Right? But I've read all the, like, heard all the concepts, all, you know, all most of the ideas. All over and over again over and over in other books, right? Because it's influenced the generation of investors and writers yeah. uh, with these ideas. And um, yeah, it's uh, pretty influential. Yeah, okay. So let's just jump into a little bit of the, the story. So for people who haven't read it, you got to check this thing out. I mean, it's pretty accessible and uh, maybe yeah. it won't be for you, but uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you're interested in investing in real estate and uh, money and economics, then this is, we think, a great, a great read. Um, but essentially Robert Kiyosaki is the character and he kind of describes his childhood and he had two dads and mm -hmm. I say that's kind of weird, but one's actually his, <laughs> not, not that way. Yeah. One's actually his, uh, his biological father. Yeah. And the other one is his friend's father. Yeah. Who so, had a big influence on yeah. his life. So his biological father was this educated man. Um, he was in academia uh, he had a good job and, and the standards of, uh, the day standards of the world, right. He went to school, he got a good job. He was a professor. Um, so he had like presumably a good pension, yep. you know, he was kind of taken care of with the system. Uh, whereas his, uh, friend's father, who he spent a lot of time. Oh, and um, status as well, right? Yeah. Status. Yeah. You know, like nice car, nice house, all that stuff. Yeah. Big house, whatever. Which was his, which is biological dad believed in yeah so then his uh his friend's father he spent a lot of time with his friend and uh, his friend's father did mentor him a lot um he was an entrepreneur and a businessman and an investor and he mm -hmm. thought about money 
completely differently. Um, you know, what money can get you and what you should do with it and how you should get it and what, how you should think about it. And he talked about it. Yeah. A lot. As opposed to, uh, you know, we'll call him poor dad, Robert Kiyosaki's yeah. dad. Like, we don't talk about money. Yeah. Right? That kind of attitude. You just spend it and you... Uh... <laughs> 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 yeah. So that, that ties into this whole premise of financial literacy and financial education. Because he points out, right, that the whole system is set up, but where in the school system, like, I don't know what school you went to, but I never got hard financial. Knocks. Yeah, hard knocks. Okay. Is that like Calvinist or <laughs> knocks? Yeah, it's five points, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a reformed joke. <laughs> All right. We're getting off track. <laughs> Look, I completely threw you off. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it, it, where in your education system do you learn financial literacy? <clears throat> or how do you know you're financially literate is another question, right? Like, yeah, I know that I can count, so therefore I can count money. And that's all I need to know, right? Yeah. And I can add and subtract and divide. So I should be good at finance, uh, like dealing with personal finance. Um, if I know how to do basic math, right? Okay, here's a quick question for you, uh, which um, we we haven't talked about. But, like, whose responsibility is it? Is it the school system or is it parents to to educate their kids on financial literacy? And, I mean, you yeah. may have parents that are not financially literate, so does the school have to pick up the slack or, like... Oh, yeah, well, on the school is when you say the school, like what school, school system? Right? Yeah, it's, if so, if we're talking about the public system where the government funds it, yeah, um, yeah. So children are the responsibility of their parents. Yeah, um, and if you have a school system that is government funded, paid for by tax dollars, um, yeah, technically, like your parent, the parents have the primary responsibility to educate this stuff. But yeah, if they don't know. Maybe you rely on somebody else, but if you send them to school and you just think they're going to learn what they need to know, no, they're going to learn what the system wants to teach them, right? Yeah. And so somebody is deciding what uh, is important to teach, but then also with regards to financial literacy, like what do we want children to know growing up and what do we want them to do for our society, right? Like if you're, if you have a school system that's producing kids uh, or the Sorry, the kids come in. That's the input to the school system. <laughs> the parents and then Mark the slipped out. And then <laughs> <laughs> but they're trying to produce uh, members of society that will contribute in a positive way that will add, right? Like we talk, talk about the economy and uh, how we're in a situation where we need to have immigrants. So we need to have people come and join the economy yeah. and produce something. Okay, well, if you have your school system, you have kids. you got to make sure that they're producing. So, yeah. Um, but is there specific things that the government, that's the other question. Is there specific things that the government wants you to know? It doesn't want you to know. And then how does that reflect it in the curriculum? Right. And financial literacy. And that's the thing he points out right off the hop, right? Is financial literacy is completely disregarded in the education system. Yeah. And as a result, I think, uh, parents might not be so savvy themselves. Right. right. So if the responsibility is for the parents to teach it, well, they went through the same system. Like it's just being perpetuated for so long. Yeah. Um, 
And, uh, yeah, we kind of try it with this podcast to shed light on how complex the system is too, just so that it's basically, it's a wake up call to say, Hey, look, you need to be more literate financially. Yeah. Um, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Just because that's the reality of, you know, all these complexities of the system and how they're going to basically railroad over you <laughs> Yeah. if you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, the first kind of concept of the book is financial literacy, get financial literacy. I forget how he actually says to do that. <laughs> well, read his book. I guess yeah, that's a start. Read his book. Well, so he, yeah, he didn't get that from his, uh, poor dad. Right. So his well-educated father, which yep. is kind of like this ironic thing, right? Because you have a very well-educated father who's a professor, Yeah, but he's not financially literate. So the outcome of his uh, life is my, is the thing. You can get into the purpose of your life too, right? And that's yeah. something, you know, is finance the only purpose of your life? No. Um, but disregarding it is what we believe not stewardly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Make the most of what you have or yeah. what you're given. And yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, and then Robert's rich dad... <clears throat> Um, which I don't know at the time when he was being mentored by him, if he was actually a rich, wealthy guy, but he was on track to be. Yeah. He was, yeah, I think he was wealthier than he let on. Yeah. Like just if, when you read through the book, right? He wasn't, yeah. he didn't have the trappings yeah. of wealth. He didn't have a fancy car or nice clothes or a nice house or yeah. whatever, but he was building that foundation and he could see. In the future. Yeah. And he, I think he talks about the difference between being um, uh, being broke and being poor. Like yeah. Even after a major financial setback, he said, I'm broke, but I'm not poor. Right. Because the poor is a mindset. Right. And uh, kind of stood stood by that through the whole time, right? Yeah. And you can you can see that in other, other people too, or people building a business, right? They have that mindset, and they may not have... It may not look like they have much. Yeah. I've seen this time and again with business owners, right? Yeah. Where they're just, their lifestyle doesn't scraping really change. Scraping by. Well, yeah. yeah. A, they're scraping by or B, it just looks like it. But yeah. they realize like, yeah, okay, the business is growing and there's wealth here. And I could spend, I could buy a nice Porsche or uh, yeah. upgrade my porch. For the house. <laughs> <laughs> There's a joke there, I think, about the painter who, uh, you know, said, oh, paint the porch. Okay, I painted the car. Now what next? No. <laughs> Anyways, um, you know, ra- rather than, and we'll, we'll talk about this assets and liabilities, rather than spending the money on liabilities, put it back into the business or invested it somewhere else. Yeah. Knowing they'd get that return, right? Buying a piece of real estate, you get nothing right now, but and you get the return later. So, I think it was the same kind of thing with uh, with his his father. He, there was probably a lot of money around, but he wasn't spending it foolishly and on yeah. unnecessary things. Yeah. So if you go through the traditional school system and you rely on that for your financial education, yeah. Um, this like the outcome of that is just basically going to be the status quo, right? And so his poor dad was was an exhibit of that. But yeah. his rich dad was one who basically said, you know what, I'm going to shake off the traditional education system. And maybe like he went through it. I well, he high dropped school. out. I think he yeah. didn't even finish high school. I yeah. Don't think. So, but I mean, at that time, 
that would have been probably more common that people weren't finishing school. Like now I think a lot more people go through the entire system. And, um, so, but yeah, like I said, he was an entrepreneur, so he, he was, you know, ready to embrace a completely different mindset, take risks Mm -hmm. and, um, and then also teach himself about money. Right. Yeah. Um, so read, learn, um, discuss with other people and he and and then it's interesting the way he kind of put that onto uh robert and his i guess his son so robert and his friend mike i think right yeah as yeah. they're growing up um the tasks that they have to do as children yeah. right um and, and I'm mad the kids got <laughs> yeah. well teaching them the value of money right for yeah. starters right you got to work hard for this but also teaching them like how to think creatively about how to get it and how to um, provide value to people. And yeah, that's completely out of the realm of the current education system. Yeah. Like they don't, they don't talk about that at all. Right. Nope. As far as I concerned, or as far as I, uh, anyways, I went through the education system. <laughs> I didn't learn any of this. <laughs> well, and like quick side note, um, when you study economics, when you say quick side note, yeah, this is, yeah. it'll be about an hour. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but when you study economics, like I think back to, uh, I did uh, an OAC economics course. So that was like... Not an AOC one. No. <laughs> no, that's uh, completely different. Um, back in the day, if you were going to go to university, you had to have what were called OACs, I think Ontario Academic Credits. Okay. So it was like an additional set of courses past grade 12, grade 13, they called it too, um, to qualify for university. So... If you were diligent, you could do your OACs in grade 12, right? And I, I think I left it till like the last minute and I had been accepted, but I had to have my OACs done. I had to do a summer one. Anyway, so I did economics, right? And uh, I thought it was pretty cool. I learned about supply and demand and deficit spending and all this stuff, right? <clears throat> right. And I learned about a man called John Maynard Keynes and how he's the father of modern economics and all this stuff, right? So there was never, I didn't learn about Austrian economics or Mises or or Hayek or any of these guys, right? Um, Until recently, right? We just take for granted that Keynesian economics is how economics works. Yeah. And it's like, it isn't. Yeah. It's it's a theory. And that theory leads to modern monetary theory and the mess that we're in. But um, just as an example of, you know, when you do the, you go through... Our the current system. system. And yeah. I've heard somebody as well who was uh, like working in finance, who has a degree in finance, say like, I never heard that there was an alternative to Keynesian economics. Like never in my whole going through high school, university, all this stuff, never heard that there was a different way of thinking about economics. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy how yeah. you, you know, if you take the system at face value... You know, I say the system, and we're not like fighting the man yeah. or anything like that, but um, you have to educate yourself. You have to look at the alternatives. And, yeah. um, and I'm sure it's like this in a many different fields. Like economics yeah. is one. We're talking about economics. That's what the podcast is about, right? But yeah. they're, they're, they're like, for example, health and nutrition. Like how many different yeah, yeah. ways of thinking about health and nutrition are there? Yeah. Out there, right? And what school of thought influences most 
of our education system. I don't know, right? I don't, I'm not an expert on that topic, but I can imagine in all kinds of different topics until you actually read it, um, you don't know, right? And uh, it's funny because it's just a quote from this book. So uh, my highly educated dad, so that's his poor dad, recommended that I do what he did. He said, son, I want you to study hard, get good grades so you can find a safe, secure job with a big company and make sure it has excellent benefits. Mm-hmm. Does that sound bad? I mean, it does now, but, but no, I guess on from... the face of it, no. No. Like that sounds, sounds very reasonable. reasonable. Yeah. And like, you know, hey, you're going to study hard, you know, get good grades. That's a good thing, right? You work, you put your talents to use, you get good grades, and you find a safe, secure job with a big company. Nice. Yeah. I have security. I don't have to worry. The company's going to take care of me. Make sure it has excellent benefits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of people still, I mean, a lot of people think that way right now, right? Yeah. That's so the path. That's, but that's his poor dad, right? Yeah. So the rich dad said, um, my rich dad wanted me to learn how money works so I can make it work for me. Mm-hmm. And that's a completely different mindset, right? To learn how to work for money or have money work for you. Yeah. And to me, that's the difference between dependence and independence. Yeah. So dependence being you work for money. Yeah. Yeah. You work for, well, nothing wrong with working for someone, I guess, as long as you have your eyes open, but working for someone as opposed to, I don't know, working for yourself. Is that fair enough? Eh, maybe not. But I think, yeah, what you said, the difference between money working for you and you working for money. And often that leads to you working for yourself in one way, shape, or form, right? Like yeah. if you're buying real estate, you're working for yourself, yeah, essentially, right? It's not like us, you know, the typical small business, um, but you certainly are. Yeah. And, um, and he and so Robert's point again, or his lesson in this, is that the rich don't work for money, right? right? So people who are wealthy, they're not out there working for money; they're trying to make their money work for them. Yeah. And uh, it's it's so hard to just kind of concisely say <laughs> the whole book in one sentence, right? But that when you when you say that, like the money working for you, you kind of hear that out, right? Like, yep. oh, you want your money to work for you, right? It's like. Yeah, you do. But what does that actually mean? And how do you achieve that? And what are some possible ways of getting that to, to happen? Well, when you see it in like a bank advertisement, make your money work for you. That means buy a GIC yeah. and get, you know, 2% interest so on your money. So they can make a fee. And... Yeah. When in reality, yeah. the bank is making your money work for them because yeah. they're lending it out and they're doing all kinds of different yeah. stuff with it. They're not just letting it sit somewhere yeah. collecting 2% interest. Yeah. And yeah, if you see make your money work for you in other contexts, it could mean like your money is just sitting in your savings account. Let's go take it and do something else with it so that it's whatever, but not, not necessarily taking control of it yourself Yeah. and purposely doing with it what you ought to be doing. Um, so how do you do that? Well, you obviously become more financially literate. Um, but his, his contrast, I guess, is like you, you said, in the mindset, right? So the people who are, um, he, he, I hate saying the word rich because people are so like rich, you know, that's, but the mindset of the rich people is they focus on that making their money work for them. Uh, and the poor people, 
they focus on getting that next paycheck yeah, and just paying the bills and making sure that they, that paycheck is secure, um, right? And that there's benefits attached to it, but they don't focus on once they have the paycheck, now what, <clears throat> right? And what do you do with that paycheck? And then you get in this little trap, right? Where um, you're continuously trying to get a better job, uh, a promotion, and you're trying to increase your income. Yeah. To keep up with your expenses, right? Because you know you get married, and then you have a house, and then you get a car, and then you have kids, and then the expenses grow throughout your life, and your income has to grow to keep up with it. So mm-hmm. you're always in this bit of a rat race, um, where you're trying to earn more so that you can pay for all your expenses, and it's just like a simple equation, right? But that's a mindset. What Robert is saying of, of a poor person, right? Is thinking, let's just keep up. Yeah. And, uh, it's funny. He has a, like if anyone's read this book, so he has a game called the cash flow uh, game and it's a board game. Yep. And the idea is that you go around, around a circle and the circle is called the rat race. And the whole point of the game is to get out of the rat race. And, uh, it's just an interesting mindset, right? Cause people say, Oh, I'll just get out of the rat race. And usually I like, I take that to mean they just want to move somewhere where it's quiet and slow and just keep working for a living. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But I guess Robert is saying, you know, the rat race can deal with itself. Let's get out. Let's the, how do you get out? Right. And then he goes through the rest of the book and describe like the goal should be to try and get out of working for money. Yeah. Yeah. I got to get this game for my kids. I think. Yeah. It's not cheap. No. I think it's like, uh, what, 100, 200 bucks or something? I don't know. You can play it online, too. You can download. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll we'll start online. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So is that making sense so far? Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, so we're describing the book and not necessarily um, our beliefs. Yeah. Although I think a lot of what we're talking about is, uh, yeah, I think we're going to kind of go through the book and then do maybe a summary at the end, like the good, our perspective perspective on it. it. Um, because again, yeah, our perspective is not necessarily a little bit different, right? Yeah. I mean, I think we probably agree with most of the concepts in the book. Um, but it's the sort of the motivation, I guess, um, that would be a little bit different, right? It's not just, it's not for ourselves. Yeah. We're not trying to hoard wealth and make it, make, make it rich, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, if you do great, but then you, you have a responsibility to use that, uh, in a very stewardly fashion. So a, it's about maximizing what you've been given. If you've been given a brain, then use it. Yeah. Right. Don't, uh, maybe don't be content to, well, and I think we need a lot more rich Christians out there. <laughs> um, people who are uh, inclined, I guess we're all inclined to evil, but people who are renewed, yep. right? Who have faith, who are renewed by the Holy Spirit to be, uh, to seek to be generous and giving, to be thankful, to have that attitude towards their life, but also their finances. Yeah. We have more of those people wealthy. You know, that, that's a good thing. Yeah, for, it would for be them, good for, for their churches, for society at large, for everybody, right? Um, to have people who are wealthy, who are ready to, you know, have a positive impact in this world yeah. in a meaningful way. And it's beautiful when, that, when you see that happen. Um, but 
for the, I think he's writing this book, um, to again, the average person yeah. who is completely not there, right? They're just getting started. They're getting their career and they're in that mindset of the system, get a good job, get educated. Let's get some security in my life and let's pay my bills. Yeah. So what's and, the kicker is the rich invest in assets. Yeah. And the poor people invest in liabilities or buy liabilities. Yeah. I mean, okay. Why don't we talk about assets and liabilities? Well, that's a huge concept in the book. Cause we've, we've talked about this in the podcast before, but maybe we're taking it for granted, right? Yeah. Someone who's never really, or is just kind of getting into this kind of thing. Like yeah. what is that? So Robert like breaks it down really, really simply. Uh, an asset is something that puts money in your pocket. And a liability is something that takes money out of your pocket. Now, I guess he's talking on a monthly basis, right? So, so my children are liabilities. Yes. Hopefully one day they'll be assets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully eventually they'll start putting money in my pocket. Hopefully they realize there's nothing left in your pocket and they can't take something out. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, carry on, Brent. <laughs> Hopefully your children aren't listening to this. Uh, no, they don't listen. You guys are currently liabilities and uh, eventually you're going to be assets. Um, oh, well, but that's so a that simple is... way to describe yeah. it, right? Yeah. And it, like when you say assets and liabilities, like maybe if you're an accountant and you think, oh, like, you know, your balance sheet and working out all the numbers for a corporation or a business or something like, yeah. and you're thinking about all these line items on your assets column and your liabilities and how to like that, he's just saying, look, an asset puts money in your pocket every month. Like it's something that you own yeah. that will pay you money regardless of what you do, essentially. Yeah. And we know that's not uh, true for everything, right? Like if you buy, so for example, an asset could be a rental property. If you buy a piece of real estate, it will put money in your pocket every month. Ideally. Ideally. <laughs> like if you buy the right thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it'll put money in your pocket every month, but you're going to have to do work, right? You're going to have to spend time going fix stuff from time to time. So it's yeah. not completely passive, but his idea is you own something that is in your control that puts money in your pocket. So in the future, right, you're going to be better off because this thing is paying you money. So whether you work or not, you're still earning this income. Mm -hmm. and, and his whole idea is to get out of the rat race. You want to have enough assets paying you enough passive income, I think is what he calls it. Um, to be able to not have to work. Yeah. Right. And I think that's where the, the paradigm shift for a lot of people who quote this book as a real estate investor is, you know, why am I working so hard to pay for the things I need when I could just work and then buy something that pays for the things I need? Exactly. Right. Yeah. So what's an example of a liability? So liability in his words is something that is something that takes money out of your pocket. Uh, so you buy it a thing and it doesn't pay you anything every month. In fact, it takes your money. So, um, either it takes your money once when you buy it or it takes your money every month because you have payments on it or something like that. Um, so like a car. Yeah. So a car, car payments, right? So you buy a car and, uh, unless you're an Uber driver and it actually makes you money, but it, that that's not, that's actually a liability as well because you have to put your time in to, to do it. Right. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, even your own, this is the thing. So people think their house is an asset and Robert basically says, no, unless your house pays you money every month, it's not an asset. It's actually a liability because you're going to buy your house with a mortgage and uh, you're going to go to work the next day and start paying that mortgage (laughs) off, right? That's what everybody does. Um, and they would try and work hard. They get a promotion just to pay down their mortgage. So that the house, which most people think is a liability is actually, or sorry, most people think is an asset is actually a liability. And that's where it's kind of like, um, it's like a house is generally, what do they say? It's, uh, people's biggest purchase. Yeah. The most expensive thing you're ever going to buy. Yeah. Um, and for a lot of people, it's their retirement plan, right? Like I'm going to own this house for 30, 40 years, and then I'm going to sell it. And maybe you have to downsize, but that money is going to fund my retirement. Um, but Robert's saying, no, you got to spend your working years buying, uh, things that actually put money in your pocket. So when you do retire, you basically, it's basically just a smooth transition. You have all this income coming in and you're basically already retired and you're spending your time doing other productive things for society. Yeah. Um, Which is an important concept, I think, because a lot of Canadians especially look at their primary residence as their biggest asset. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at it from this perspective, because I used to think like that too, right? Um, Because you look at the value going up and you're like, hey, but, you know, that's value on paper. And it is true that maybe when you retire or when you're done, whatever, um, you could sell that house for a significant profit, but you still need somewhere to live. So yeah. unless you're going, you know, moving, downsizing and then taking that extra money and putting it into an asset yeah. or something that makes you money, it's not really an asset. Yeah. Like we've talked about house hacking where you live in part of the house yep. and you rent out part of the house. Yeah. So if, if, if you can find a way to live in one bedroom of the basement, for example, right. And you rent out all the other rooms in the house and it produces enough income so that your house that you live in, uh, will pay for the mortgage and the property taxes and the insurance and the utilities and whatever other maintenance expenses. And every month it's going to pay you a profit. Well, now it's an asset. Yeah. But at that point, it's essentially a rental property too, right? Yes. Where you rent one of the units for a small fee. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, yeah, you can mitigate your liabilities sometimes, right? Like we've used a refinance to buy rental property. Yeah. Right. And that worked out well. So in that case, yeah, it's, you know, maybe it's like half and half or or whatever, you know, it's partially an asset, partially a liability, but you got to be careful with that too. Yeah. But um, yeah, it is a good point that generally speaking, your home is not an asset, right? Yeah. It's not doing, you know, you need, you need a home, you need a car, you need certain things, but that doesn't mean they're not financially, they're not liabilities because yeah. you're paying for them. And the other thing he says too is it's okay to buy liabilities, right? Yeah. But he looks at it, when can I afford a liability is when I have enough passive income from my assets that I can afford to just use that money to pay for the liability. Right. So a liability could be like a a nice vacation or a luxury item that you don't really need. Um, but you, you want, right. So, um, you know, we we buy these all the time, but then he's saying, what, what do you buy them with? You buy them with your job income 
because then they're even bigger liabilities. But if you're okay to buy them, if you can afford them from the income from your assets. Yeah. So that, that's a different twist on living within your means, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, buying something with existing income or that in existing income will cover versus you've got a job and you have to save and then you look at your budget and you can kind of fit the payments into that, that, into that budget and then you buy something that's a whole that's a different uh different way of looking at it right yeah and um oh, so this is a very very important concept mark hold on let me get a uh, pen yeah um you could just listen okay so i'm gonna verbally describe i don't do this. that very well <laughs> i don't know if you've noticed uh so assets and liabilities is important right yeah the concept of those but um we, and how do we connect this with financial literacy? Because that's also very important. Okay, so financial literacy, I guess he has these two sheets. He has the income statement and the balance sheet. And when I first like read this, I don't know how many years ago, when you said income statement and balance sheet, I had no idea right. what that meant. And at the very least, I thought income statement, balance sheet, that's for companies uh, to deal with, right? Like yep. an accountant's to figure that stuff out. But he makes it very, very, very simple for people to understand that you have an income statement and a balance sheet for yourself. Yes. Or your family, your household, right? And what does that um, income statement and balance sheet actually mean? So how do you interpret that? And uh, how do you use it in your in your life, right? And so an income statement has an income and expenses and he, like just super simple. Yeah. Right. Income is where do you get money from expenses is what do you have to pay? Right. Like, and then he has the balance sheet, which is assets and liabilities. So super simple. He says four boxes. Um, and then what you do is you like, he, and he kind of has all these diagrams in the book describing how, uh, money flows through these various things. So, and that's the cash flow, right? So if, if money comes into your income, um, right? So you go to work, you make money, you have income, and then you spend it on expenses, right? The cash flow has a certain pattern, right? It comes in your income, it goes out of your expenses, and it's yeah. gone. Yep. Okay, so we never see that money again. Um, so he, he kind of gives you a few different diagrams of the cash flow patterns of a, a poor person, and then the cash flow patterns of a rich person just so that it changes your mindset of what, how does a wealthier rich person think about where the money is flowing? Right. And maybe not every wealthy person is like literally just thinking about these diagrams all the time, <laughs> yeah. but they in effect, they're putting this into practice. Yeah. <clears throat> right. And it's cool because he breaks it down so you can do it simply in your life too. But, um, uh, yeah. So he says a poor person has money coming in from their job into the income. Maybe you can pull these up on the screen, yeah, but you can read the book, folks. Them. You got to read this book. Anyways, um, so they have the poor person has income coming in from their job and they spend it on expenses. So they got their taxes, rent, food, transportation, clothes, whatever it is, gone. Um, and their balance sheet uh, doesn't have anything on it because they don't have any assets, no liabilities yet, right? Yep. Um, but the middle class person, you know, like he has these three tiers. So poor, middle class, wealthy. The middle class person, they have their job income comes in as a salary, and then they'll go start buying 
some liabilities now, right? So they get a little bit more money than the poor person. They're not like um, having all their income spent on their expenses, right? They're gonna have a little bit left over. They can start to save some money uh, and they're gonna get a house. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have a mortgage. There's a liability. And then they're going to have a, a car. And they're going to get a car loan. And that's a liability. And then they're going to have credit card debt or school debt. And uh, so essentially, the money comes in, the income, it goes out to pay for some liabilities. Then what's left over goes to pay for their expenses. And then it's gone. And no assets. And no assets yet. I've just pulled right? it up on the screen. Yeah. So anybody so, watching. So you can, can see, see yeah. So the rich person, the wealthy person, we describe this for people. So they're going to have their income rather than coming from their job is going to come from their assets. Right. And that's where the whole thing flips over, right? It's like, okay, people are like, how in the world do I have money getting paid to me income coming from something that I don't have to go to work for? Yeah. And that's where it just shakes you right up. Like, you're like, okay. So, and the whole point is that the rich or the wealthy uh, person cash flow pattern is you have, you own things that pay you every month. Assets. Assets. And that's on your balance sheet on the assets category. And that pays you income in the form of rental income, dividends, interest, royalties, whatever you own, right? Yeah. Uh, could even be like intellectual property, right? Like you had an idea and you patented it and whatever, and it's paying you, right? So you have all these assets paying you income and then from there you can afford to pay your expenses and your liabilities right and you don't buy liabilities until you can afford to pay them yeah with all the asset income and that's that's a complete paradigm shift yeah so i guess i don't i can't remember if it was in the book or not but something about like uh, buying a nice car yeah and the difference between waiting until you actually have the income from somewhere, you don't have to work for it to buy that nice car versus buying a nice car now, and you have to work every day to pay for it. And if you stop working, you can't pay for that car anymore. Yeah. Right? And not that I'm advocating buying a nice car, but it's the sort of that, yeah, it's a, like you said, it's a different, um, different thought pattern, right? Like... You can have nice things, but make sure that when you have those nice things, you can afford them <laughs> and not, you know, just through a job, through yeah. a salary. Because the, the trick here is that, and he defines that as the rat race, right? The trick is that if you're stuck where your income pays for expenses and liabilities all the time, yeah, you're never going to be able to afford to buy assets. Right. And not, okay, so not only... In that situation, not only are you not thinking about assets because it's not even on your radar because you haven't learned this financial education that we're all teaching you here, um, but you're also just not going to have the leftover. And that's why it's the rat race, right? It's yeah. a circle around and around yeah. and around. And and uh, the mindset is usually, I need to make more money. I need to, like, they need to give me a raise. I deserve a promotion. Yeah. Why doesn't they pay for this for me? Like, why is this so expensive? They, they, why they. can't they pay for my program? Like, why can't we everything be free? Right? Why can't I get a pair of dimes? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have two dimes to rub together. Yeah, I don't have two dimes to rub so together. It used to be two nickels, but with inflation, it's dimes. Now. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's the paradigm shift. Oh, boom. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> Mr. Stewart. Yeah, so that's um, yeah. That I'm just gonna pull up that uh, that diagram. Yeah, that chart or diagram again, right? Like very simple, but very powerful as well. And I guess one thing that I stands out for me is that it's much easier to start this process when you're young. Yeah, yeah, hundred right? percent. Right, as opposed to you know, middle aged fellow like me. Um, trying to trying to get back into it, right? Like we, I kind of started fresh, you know, um, ten, twelve years ago, uh, when I remarried, and um, yeah, you know, it's getting there. But had I like known all this stuff in my twenties yeah. and started like getting some kind of assets then, and held on to those assets, um, so so much easier than trying to do it when you're older. Yeah, because so, when you're young, you don't have. Uh, your like your expense column might be a lot lower because right? yeah. you don't have things uh, generally speaking, and you might be living with your parents still, and or you're sharing a place with a bunch of buddies or something like that. Where yeah. Your expenses are a lot lower than if you have, you know, a family and you have education to pay for and all this <laughs> stuff, right? And presumably also you don't have any liabilities because maybe you haven't even bought a car yet. Yeah. Right. Or yeah. are you very uh, prudent that way. So if you start with a clean income statement balance sheet and you start getting some income, uh, maybe you have some expenses, but the mindset of a poor person is I just pay for the expenses and let's, I'm, I'm making, let's say I'm making 20 grand a year. I spend all of it. That's a poor person. <laughs> well, you can always <laughs> find liabilities. Yeah. And usually you do. Yeah. Cause to cover gravitated your, to cover your cash it. flow. Yeah. Like to to eat the cash flow. Yeah. Well, I think back to when I was young, right? Like I started working relatively, you know, probably yeah. fourteen or so as soon as I could. Um, you know, just retail and stuff like yeah. that. But save your money. Yeah, I never saved. You just spent it all. Yeah. So you were a poor person, according yeah, to this. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, going back to education and parents, yeah. like that's the pattern that most people will follow unless they have habits yeah. that are ingrained into them when they're young yeah. by their parents. They'll see their parents going right? out. That's what I got to do. They see what their parents do. But then also if you have the ability to either, you know, some people will do it with an allowance and start that way. Or if the kids get a job, whatever, like you have to teach them like, well, teach them this yeah, and also teach them like you're, you know, you're, especially when you have no liabilities, your cash shouldn't be just gone. Yeah. Every time you get a paycheck, you spend it on something. Yeah. Right? See, I was a bit different. Like I worked as well and then I would save, right. And generally yeah. not spend until I had some project that I wanted to do because I thought it was fun. So you, you, you know, Hey, let's invest on, well, it's a, as is a small form of investing. Let's try and see if this works, you know, right. like let's build a thing and whatever. You never actually make any money, but, um, you're thinking about how can I produce something with what I, what I already got. <laughs> um, but yeah, then, then, uh, you said it was easier for young people. Um, and then hundred percent is, I mean, what we're trying to say now with this podcast too, is that like, it's going to get harder. Yes. Right. And that like for when you were a young person till now, I mean, that's been like 50 years. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's not as bad as what I thought. <laughs> when you were painting on the yeah. cave walls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Judging by the side of your, size of your beard. But like 
asset prices are just so much higher now, right? Yeah. So to actually get assets in your life, it's going to take more work, more creativity, more sacrifice, right? Whereas before, especially when Robert wrote this book, like 20 something years ago, like it was, it's a different thing, right? Yeah. Um, and there's different parts that were like in the U S he's a U.S. So all this stuff is from the U S um, some of the examples as well. And, um, but yeah, there they have different opportunities as well. Right. Um, for what you can buy assets for some of yeah. the re- regulations around this stuff. Um, Canada's different. So definitely have to educate yourself on that as well. Yeah. Um, as what works where you are. Right. Yeah, I am a little bit encouraged talking to some young people, like some, yeah. I don't know, I, I'm an old curmudgeon, but you know, you talk to some young folks and you just kind of shake your head and like, there's no hope for humanity, but then other folks, and this has probably been like the same through the ages, right? You'll get some that are go-getters and some that aren't, uh, but there's lots of opportunities still, yeah. right? And a lot of them are online or... You know, I don't even know, like, I'll read about certain things and be like, I had no idea you could do that. Kids making money selling sneakers, um, all kinds of different stuff, right? There are opportunities out there where you don't, it doesn't mean you need to save a hundred grand to go buy a house, right? We like real estate, but that's not the only Yeah, that's not the only thing. And that's not the only income stream, especially when you're starting, you like, you can't, Yeah. right? We think you should own real estate, but there's so much... um, so many different opportunities yeah. out there if you know where to look. And you know, we talked a little bit about AI last podcast. Okay, I talked about it a lot. Right? I started <laughs> on a rant and you cut me off. Um, but there's, you know, if you stay up to date, there's so many opportunities there as well, right? We're at a sort of a turning point in, uh, in, in Western civilization, I think, with the advent of AI and a lot of this other stuff, right? There's lots of opportunities for yeah. kids for anyone, but especially, yeah. you know, kids to, uh, kids. to figure out how to produce some income. Yeah. And, uh, acquire assets. And yes. Um, and then, yeah, not spend it on like your car stereo. I think like the difficulty is like, uh, especially when you're young, but I, the temptations there for everybody, right. Is to want to fit in. Yes. To want to fit the mold of the system, to want to not be ostracized from society or, um, your family, right? Like if you kind of buck the norms in your family, like kind of be like, oh, what is this guy doing? Right. So if you, yeah. um, and that's when you said this book kind of was controversial. So when you put this stuff out there and it doesn't really fit with what's going on in like, uh, the world, then, yeah. um, you see some of these people putting this into practice. You say, oh, that guy's kind of strange. Like, what's he doing? You know, that doesn't make sense. I don't really. Right. And especially for a young person, it probably, you know, I, I don't want to be different. I want to have friends. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to be working every Friday, Saturday, you know, <laughs> like I want to actually have a life. Um, but yeah, that's where like reading this, um, the mindset shift of, you know, not really worrying what other people think about you and putting some of these things into practice when you're young makes a huge difference when you're older, right? Yeah. It sets the trajectory of your life completely different. Yeah. And I think a lot of people realize some of this stuff through COVID as well. It seems like there's almost this burst of entrepreneurial activity, Yeah, you know, sort of through COVID. Like you can't, like it really illustrated for a lot of people this path of find that good big company with good benefits and all that stuff. Yeah. 
and uh, realize it doesn't necessarily pan out every time. No, because tons and tons of big companies just were laying off, yeah. shut down. And yeah, you know, you could say the government stepped up and put it Well, and people and stuff, will really but... start to notice once you get that job, but you can't afford a house, right? And that's where it's coming to now yeah. is if I have done everything according to the system, I've got like this, I've tried so hard. I got these good grades. I got a great job. I'm like at the highest thing and I still can't afford to live in a house that I own. Yeah. What gives? Right. Yeah. What? Like, come on. You obviously tricked me and like, or the system is flawed or failed at me somehow. Right. Yeah. Um, and then that attitude of, again, pointing the finger at the system <laughs> and, or Mark, That's fine. it was I you, you it. were the previous generation. You, <laughs> I'm a current generation. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, he has some quotes here, which are, so it's not how much money you make, it's how much money you keep. Okay. We can talk about that. Uh, intelligence solves problems and produces money. Money without financial intelligence is money soon gone. And that's so true too, right? Like if you, if you do make money, but you don't have an understanding of how to use it, right? Cause ultimately it's just a tool, right? And we talked yeah. about this in previous episodes that money is just, it's just a way of storing the value of what you've worked for. So you, yeah. you've gone to work and you worked hard and you got this medium that stores what you've worked so hard for. Right. Yep. And now what you got, you got this stuff, which is essentially just your time in a little token that says, look, I got this money. It's storing my time for the future when I want to spend it. But if you don't know, like if you don't have the financial literacy to actually use that money in a, in a proper way, it's gone. Well, it's, it's why or it's consumed. One reason why many lottery winners yeah. end up broke. Yeah. Like worse than they were before. And, you know, maybe, yeah, you're talking about financial literacy. You could maybe make the argument that someone who's buying lottery tickets probably has low financial literacy because that's, yeah. you know, not everybody's relying on that as their retirement. Some people just do it for fun or whatever, but a lot of people buy them every week yeah. or however often, right? They're yeah. like, that's, they're investing money into that, right? Yeah. And uh, by and large, they're losing it. But every once in a while, someone hits it. But yeah. then they end up losing all that money because they don't yeah. know what to do with it. <clears throat> Same thing with uh, like athletes, right? Or professional like celebrities, yeah. people who make a lot of money very fast, yeah. but don't have any financial literacy and they get it and they're like, oh, you know what? Let's just, yeah. And then you lose it right away, yeah. right? And conversely, there's That's some. That's not being a steward of what you have no. been given, is it? <laughs> no, but there are some who are insanely wealthy. Yeah. Because they, I mean, I'm sure they had a nice lifestyle, but they immediately started investing that money in other things. Yeah. And, um, it's like the story of the janitor who died like multimillionaire because he just knew how to handle money. And I yeah, uh, haven't heard that story. No, no. I told, I tell you. So there was a janitor and why don't he, you tell uh, me, Brent? Yeah. It was a janitor and he, uh, he was a multimillionaire when he died. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> We're going to come out with a book, folks. Yeah. It'll be a very short book. <laughs> but the tune, point is, if he, if he knew things. what to do with his money, right? Yeah. Even though he lives a subdued lifestyle, he's not glamorous by any stretch, right? And he just has a regular job. But he's once he gets the token that represents the value of his time, yeah. he doesn't squander it by just 
spending it on assets and, or sorry, liabilities. (laughs) (laughs) Caught myself there on expenses and liabilities. Right. He's putting it to work, uh, buying assets to make more. And, uh, that, that goes back to the parable we talked about, right? Yeah. Um, you know, parable of the talents and you get, you get given all of these things and what do you do with them? Do you put them in the sand or do you make uh, a return? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Do you have anything else you want to cover for our uh, first segment here? No. I think that was a pretty good um, introduction to the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. So next time, maybe we can get into uh, um, real estate investing specifically because Rich Dad, Poor Dad does lay the foundation for uh, financial literacy and um, kind of what we talked about today. But then Robert Kiyosaki is very involved in real estate investing yeah and has a lot to offer in terms of um how to think about uh yeah if you're going to buy assets which ones do you pick and why what are some of the opportunities that are out there so yeah. that's what we'll talk about next time all right well so, thanks for listening folks until next time steward your wealth wisely thanks for listening to this episode of the two stewards show if you like my voice better click subscribe and if you like my voice better click share if you like both Give us a five-star rating. To interact with the show, feel free to reach out at hello at twostewards.ca. We'll see you in the next episode. In the meantime, steward your wealth wisely.